Let's jump into the text. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. I'm not sure whether it's Bethage or Vishage. I actually Googled the translation, the pronunciation, and I can't remember. So I feel like Francois needs to say Bethage. I feel like people say Bethpage. That'll be there how Kiwis say it. But then if you're like, no, it's Bethage. It's quite a fancy place. Uh, anyway, sorry, back to the text, already distracted. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and, as, and did as the Jesus had instructed them, and they bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. So the disciples had seen Jesus do a lot of crazy stuff up to this point. Like this is year three of Jesus' ministry. The disciples, like we know that, you know, what's about to happen for, the, for Jesus and the disciples. They don't at this stage. Jesus has been trying to hint and tell them, I'm going to die we need to go to Jerusalem. But the disciples like are just as thick as you are and just wouldn't have got it, you know. And so like, it's like kind of what's going on here. And they'd also seen Jesus like by this stage, uh, Peter had said this massive declaration, you are the Messiah. You know, like they'd actually, uh, they'd, seen, they'd seen Jesus uh, heal the sick and, he'd, and minister to the poor and they'd seen him care for the outcast. And they'd heard him preach in such a way that all of the Old Testament became like it came into focus. And all of a sudden they understood what was going on. And Peter had walked on water with Jesus. And they'd seen they were involved in the miracle of, of the multiplication of the food. And so they'd seen all this crazy stuff. So when Jesus says to them, go and find a donkey. And if and they're like, oh, okay, sure, another random, all right, you want a donkey, we can get your donkey. And so we're getting just a random guy we've never met before. We're just going to say, okay, cool, man. And what do we say when we steal this donkey? The Lord needs, okay, you just, that's cool. Um, all right, let's go do that then. And by now, which is beautiful, you're starting to see quite a radical obedience with the disciples where they, okay, if that's the case, then I'm, I'm sure it's going to play out because for the last three years it's played out, you know, and it's been, well, okay, this is interesting. I, you know, unfortunately, Star Wars has ruined this moment for me because all I can hear is Yoda's voice, you know, <laughs> our donkey we need, <laughs> the master has need of, or whatever, however Yoda would say it. And like, you know, the donkey is okay, here's the donkey. And so they, whatever, however it plays out, they get this donkey. Uh, and um, and hugely significant. Now, there's hundreds of pro of Old Testament prophecies written, sometimes thousands of years before Jesus went through all the events of Holy Week. Hundreds of these prophecies, many that Jesus could not orchestrate, like them dividing up his clothes and casting lots for them, and all these sorts. There's just so many prophecies Jesus had no control over. But then there are certain moments where Jesus very clearly is fulfilling a prophecy and choosing to do so. And this is one of those moments where he's trying to, 
make it clear that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And this happens when he comes and gets this donkey. In fact, this is prophesied uh, and in, in Matthew's text there, he's got the prophecy, but this is from Zechariah 9 verse 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And uh, the foal, is it? Foal of a donkey. And so Jesus comes in to Jerusalem and uh, it's inc- you've got to try and remember who Jesus is. Like you've got to remember this is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You've got to remember this is the creator of the universe. You've got to remember everything physically around us in this very moment, the clothes, the wood, the, all of it is just, it's his goodness and his kindness and it's his creation and, it's, and he's called us to partner with him and so we make halls and lights and we do these sorts of things but he's the creator of everything in this room and he's the creator of everything in this beautiful, in this beautiful, unbelievably stunning world that we're called to steward. And he's the, he's the angels just bow down and worship him constantly. And how does he come into his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? It's on this donkey. It's so extraordinary because if there's anything that blows my mind when it comes to the nature of God, it's the humility of God. It's the humility of God. He is so humble. It makes me want to just sing grace to you, Lord, one more time. Like he's great and yet he's so humble and kind and gentle and doesn't march in on some war horse or have some, he just, he comes on this weird little animal called a donkey that is hardly the most dignified of animals, you know, in the whole entire universe. You know, and God created donkeys back in the day, and it's like, I'm going to ride you one day. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to ride you. Yeah, you. And I'm going to sit on you, and you're going to be the steed I pick to, to walk into Jerusalem. It's like, wow, what an amazing God. And so verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, as Jesus arrives in Galilee, so he's made this long journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And with them is the 12 disciples, or the 12 Muppets, as I like to call them. I find them very, very encouraging in terms of how they relate to Jesus and the things they do. It's very empowering. Um, and, but, but not only that, there's this large crowd from Galilee that's following Jesus as he, as he comes into Jerusalem because they're all migrating to Jerusalem to have the Passover feast. The population of Jerusalem at the time was about 40,000 people. During Passover, it would swell to around 200,000 people. Huge population increase. And so just stacks of people are coming on this pilgrimage that they'll do every year to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so there they are, and, uh, and these crowds have come. And the crowds from Galilee are, are primarily the group that have seen Jesus in action the most. They've seen all the things that most of the disciples, that the disciples had witnessed. They'd been present, and so there was this movement that's going, I think he's the Messiah. I really do. I think he is. And then they see him hop onto this donkey, and, 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 any, and these guys, again, knew their Bible. By the age of uh, uh, 13, they had to know the, the Torah off by heart. I mean, they knew their Bible. 
and they knew all the prophets and they're hanging out. There's this longing uh, for the Messiah to come and then he begins to enact He's, you know, the very prophecies, and they're like, ooh, he's on the donkey. Remember Zechariah, what he said? And so they begin to worship him, and they begin to, to, to bring their praise to him. And, you know, you'll hear some preachers occasionally say, uh, you know, one minute the crowd's worshiping him, and the next minute the crowd's saying, crucify him. It's two different crowds. The crowd from Galilee, they like, this is, he, we think he's the Messiah. And then you'll notice in the text, there's a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem saying, who's this guy? <laughs> like, why is he such a big deal? And they have to say, oh, he's the prophet from, from Nazareth. It's a different crowd that's later yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's this very politically charged moment. Um, and it's contextually, there's three things going on that just make this hugely important for uh, our understanding of Jesus and what he's doing, and, and especially the nature of God. Firstly, it was approaching the Passover feast. And this festival celebrated the event where the, um, this angel passed over Egypt and all the firstborns of the Egyptians died, and Pharaoh then let children, the, uh, God's children go. And so this is the Passover feast that celebrates when God set them free from the occupying force that was Egypt, who had enslaved them. Now at the time, the Israelite people are under the Roman occupation. It's very difficult for us to imagine this as Kiwis, but you've got to try and imagine if New Zealand had been overtaken by an occupying force. And they said, it's okay for you to practice your culture. You can do your waiata, you can do your karanga, you can do your gatherings and churches and stuff, but we are in charge of your country. You are not. And occasionally there would be moments where the Roman Empire would flex its muscles to make sure everyone knew who was boss. And, uh, and they had, it was like, it was a hardcore thing. So that as we would, they were longing for the day that someone would liberate them from this oppressive regime that was over them. And so you can imagine how politically charged this festival is where they celebrate that thousands of years earlier, God had set them free from their oppressor and that he promised he was going to do it again one day when the Messiah came. He was going to set them free from that oppressor. And so it's a hugely politically charged moment and Jesus is marching in, starting to fulfill these prophecies and people are saying, we think he's the one that's going to come and overthrow this Roman overlord and give us our land back. That's a huge uh, moment. Secondly, uh, what happened 200 years earlier was that there was a guy called Judas Maccabees. Class, can we actually go to um, the slide here, I think? Uh, so yeah, sorry, the slide. So here's a picture of the people crossing the Red Sea. Yay, that happened. Next slide is, um, so this is again, they, in fact, go back to that slide because what God did here was stunning. I mean, our pastor, we're going to take communion at the end of this morning. And it's like we are also identifying with the fact that God has set us free through Jesus. I mean, Jesus broke bread. It was the Passover supper where he instituted what we're about to take today. Hugely important. And, uh, and the symbolism of what happened there is, is, is obviously huge for us. 200 years earlier, 
Uh, however, during the Passover feast, a Jewish revolutionary called Judas Maccabees had traveled the same road that Jesus was traveling. But on, in this case, he wasn't on a donkey, he was on a war horse, leading a revolt to overthrow the Greco-Syrian Empire force that was ruling at the time. And it was called the Maccabean Revolt. And after that victory, the people waved palm palm branches in the air celebrating the victory and later waving palm branches became a symbol of Jewish nationalism. You can see what's happening here, eh? And to this day, people celebrate the Maccabean revolt with a six-day festival called Hanukkah. And while Judas Maccabees eventually signed a treaty with the Roman state in 161 BC, the conditions that the Jewish people were living under, particularly with their history and desire to have their land back, meant that by the time of Jesus, the Roman occupying force had all but puppet rulers, and there was once more desperation to see a, a Messiah overthrow the Roman occupying force. So again, for the people that are waving those palm branches, this is in their mind. And they're like, oh, maybe Jesus is going to do this again. Because uh, Judas Maccabees was successful. He overthrew that occupying force for a season, but then the Roman Empire came and it was like peace or death. And they, uh, and they signed this thing. And, and uh, Lastly, why this is, there's this kind of like intense thing going on here in this moment is that uh, the land of Judea, Galilee, Jerusalem, the land the Jewish people was, uh, that was their land was, as I said, occupied by this Roman power. And the, the governor uh, at the time uh, was living in a place called Caesarea Maritima. And it was a Roman city built by Romans for Romans. And uh, the Roman governor at the time would go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so... Uh, because it was this massive political moment where they're celebrating getting freed from the Egyptian Roman occupying force, the Romans were like, mate, this is, this is potentially a moment where there's going to be a revolt because it's happened historically. And so what do the Roman people do? Well, uh, the, the, the Roman governor would go to Jerusalem and he would travel from Caesarea to Jerusalem and he would arrive, next slide, Cass, uh, on, a don on a war horse at the head of a Roman cavalry. He would have about, this is a, a video game, it's the best slide I could find. Um, he would arrive with 600 armed horsemen and huge numbers of foot soldiers. And they would process in to Jerusalem. And, and these guys would enter from Caesarea. They would come from the west. Jesus is entering from the east. So the governor would come with his 600 war horses, hundreds and hundreds of foot soldiers walking into Jerusalem, and they are saying this, don't even think about it. Don't even think about trying to overthrow us. Can you see the size of our force? Any whiff of an uprising, we're going to crucify you. Don't you dare even think about it. This is the, a, a massive display of force for, uh, for the Roman Empire. And so these guys come from the west. Jesus arrives from the east. He comes into Jerusalem. His, it could not be more stark the contrast that he has from this. Here's these people just throwing down you know, palm branches and waving them and worshipping him. He's on this humble little donkey. And, uh, and meanwhile, the governor comes from the west. N.T. Wright says, this is Jesus, the true king who has come to free his people. The answer, of course, is yes, but not like you think. 
the crowd are waving their palm branches in the air, this time in the hope of it and anticipation of this man Jesus coming, and with all the evidence looking like he is the Messiah, and all that is left is for him to overthrow the evil powers of this rule, of this Roman rule. So you've got these hugely symbolic events. You've got Passover at the time. You've got the Maccabean Revolt 200 years earlier. And you've got this massive display of force from the occupying force at the time. It would be like combining Waitangi Day with Anzac Day with Queen's Birthday and everyone that's got a strong opinion about each one of those all hanging out in the same space. And then add, you know, then sticking some steroids in the vibe there and then you've probably got what's going on here. And so Jesus, and when when. Judas Maccabees walked and marched in from the eastern side of Jerusalem. There's, the road splits at a certain point. And you can go to the temple or you can go to the Roman garrison. And so when Judas Maccabees marched into Jerusalem, he marches and he turns towards the Roman garrison, to, to the, at this time the Greco-Syrian uh, army headquarters, to overthrow them. That's where the governor has come to reside with all of his, his troops. Jesus comes in on a donkey and he turns left. And the crowd are like, right, wrong way. <laughs> and he starts heading towards the temple. And he's going to, we'll see in this Holy Week journey, he's going to cleanse that temple. And that temple is no longer going to be some religious place that has just, um, that's just about control and fear and power. He's going to cleanse that. And then he's going to make a new temple made of living stones. And he's going to institute this new community called the church. But you can understand why the crowd is frothing at this point. Like they're just To lay down cloaks, most of them, the only cloak that you'd have, it isn't like we have now, is just an unbelievable recognition of that humility. And it's laying it down himself. And then in Luke's account, we see that the crowd just begin to worship Jesus. The whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. One of my favorite um, Probably the only worship DVD I've ever liked, actually, um, to be really honest, is um, Ron Canoli's Sing Out, um, which some of you guys may have seen. If you haven't, you're a bad Christian and you should, uh, because it's just absolutely, it's absolutely brilliant. I just love it. And, um, and there's this, Ron Canoli, who remembers Ron Canoli just out of it? Some of you guys, again, man, okay. Some of you guys have got a lot of, lot of school, schooling to the, Ron Canoli, just gorgeous African-American worship leader, and um, I, you know, I've often lamented the fact that God didn't give me an African-American soul and body and voice because there's a preacher in me that wants to preach like an African-American and I just never quite do it because I was a white Pakeha guy. But Ron Canoli in, the, in this one particular moment in his worship, in this worship DVD, he's like, he's just this, the band is singing this great song about the rocks singing out and crying out to praise him. He says, and he says this, People, I want you to know something. The crowd goes bananas because everyone knows what he's going to say. He's like, I don't want to let no rock out praise me. And he's like, oh. and, he's like, and, he's like, and everyone's cheering. He's like, I don't want rock, no rock to sing in my place. No, no, no. And everyone's like, band's coming. Like, yeah. And uh, I just, I love that moment because I just, I look at, so here's Jesus, the humble king. Coming into Jerusalem, the crowds have seen his miracles and his kindness and his compassion. 
and they, they, appro- they, they respond appropriately by worshipping him and by laying down what's precious to them, cloaks, costly worship. They, 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 and they wave the palm branches with the hope, yes, deep down, of course, that Jesus would, would set them free, but it's this beautiful act of worship. And, they're just, and, they're, and then the, the classic religious thing comes along, eh? And it's like, oh, mate, but much, simmer down, you know? Pharisees come along and they're trying to shut this down. Now, we're a church, I hope, where you can be you. So I'm, cool, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like you've got to jump up and down or I'm not counting hands in the air as a kind of, you know, kind of sign about how, how much you love Jesus or anything like that. You know, sometimes it's like, because he's not, again, if we learn anything in the Sermon on the Mount, is that he's not looking at the outward appearance. He wants our hearts. He just, like all of the Sermon on the Mount is pretty much saying, I want your heart. So don't just try and look good, but be good. You know, let your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Is don't just do the right thing. Have the right heart. So, and it's not about, again, a perfect heart. We're going to take communion because we're all dusty and messy because we live in a sewer and it's hard to stay clean when you live in a sewer. But it's about our willingness to just have to, to give God all that we are, right? And so I don't care. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how you praise or worship him. It doesn't change the fact that he's worthy. It doesn't change the fact that he's worthy. He's worth your vulnerability. He's worth your humility, which is what it takes to worship the Lord. And you know, I'm a Kiwi male, so worshiping with abandon is not a natural default for me. But I tell you what, as the Lord has humbled me as I've journeyed with him, it's got easier and easier to worship him and not care what other people think about me. Is to worship him. And so, the, the, uh, again, once more, I just want to say, let's not be a thermometer church that comes here going, I hope it's good, you know. I hope they sing my song, you know, and we just respond to the temperature because we're thermometer Christians. When we see Jesus here, we see the reality. In all of his glory, he comes in humility, and our response is to be a thermostat people that set the temperature. We're a thermostat people that say, I don't care what I've gone through this week. I don't care what I'm struggling with. You're still king on the throne. And sometimes that's a choice in spite of what I'm feeling. Sometimes that's a choice in spite of the evidence that may say otherwise. But I'm going to declare you are good. And I'm going to declare that you're worthy. And I'm going to say, take that devil. I don't care what you throw at me. I'm still going to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And sometimes, you know, the the hardest times to do that are when you've gone through disappointment with God. When you've been praying for someone who you thought would get better and they die. Or I've gone through this. I'm sure many of you had. Or when you think that, you know, things are meant to play out this way and it plays out that way. And you're like, what's going on here, God? And still I worship you. And still I trust you. And still I put my hope in you. Where else can I go? And so I want to encourage us to be a worshipping people. I want us to to be a worshipping people. But here's here's the big takeaway, I think, from this moment in Jesus' life. Or certainly, there's so many, but this is this year's. I'm going to use every year. This is this year's. On display in this moment, you've got three approaches. You've got a secular approach which is the approach of the Roman governor. This says it's about power and it's about control and it's about getting on top of people and it's about using force and it's about all, all of that. That's the system of our world. 
That's the system that, that nations think by. It's about how strong we are, and if we're not strong like New Zealand, who are we aligned to? That is strong, right? So it's all about strength. And if you pick on us, well, then we've got America, and we've got Australia, and we've got England, we've got all these other strong countries, so you pick on us, and they're going to kick your butt, you know? And that's the, that's the but also, you can, honestly, that's the way the system we live in here, where it's like, I've I've got to get in power at my work, or I've got to, I've got to somehow control my family, or I've somehow got to, you know, and it's about us with force and control trying to manage life, and it's life is very tr- tricky <laughs> to manage because you're not in control of life, and sometimes people can get life and God confused. Life is tough. He never said it was going to be easy, and I'm loving that we're in the Easter season like every year it gets more poignant for me because I'm like, every year that goes past, I realize a little bit more life is really hard. And I've got to put my hope in something and someone and I'm putting it in Jesus because I don't just believe what happened 2,000 years ago. I believe he rose again. He's with me today and I've experienced him. And so I put my hope in Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, amen, and the new heavens and a new earth, amen, that one day he'll wipe away every tear from every eye, that the world, that there's glimpses that we see of the way it should be, but there's so much more that we've got to see brought into the present. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're going through, most of us, all of us probably are to varying degrees of severity, discouragement, pain, disappointment. And, and then our desire sometimes is trying to control our way through those moments with power and with force or just trying to, and it's like, and, and then we get anxiety problems and then we get, because you can't. You just can't. It's too tough. It's the, it's the way of the world. The second way is, the, is the, the option, a little from both worlds. I'm religious, but I like using the system of the world. So the Judas Maccabee thing is like, I believe in God, but I'm going to overthrow these things using the world's way anyway. We have a foot in both camps. And ultimately, the invitation is that we'd follow the way of Jesus. It's a very challenging way. It relinquishes control. It's always the way of peace. It's the way of, I mean, you know, you heard me rant on a little too strongly a couple of Sundays ago about the way of telling everyone off that Jesus is love, you know, it's my apologies. Um, but, you know, but it's true. It's like, I'm just, I, I think I'm reason I got so passionate a couple of weeks ago is I'm realizing how difficult it is to follow the way of love, to follow the way of Jesus. Then I get angry. And it's like, well, honestly, it's not even, you know, it's a contradiction in the approach there, Harvey. And I'm, I've reflected on that. So, again, my apologies. But, um, <laughs> But it's the way of love. Like the, he comes on a donkey and he is crowned as king, but he's crowned on a cross with a crown of thorns where the religious system and the system of the empire all collude together to, to do the most horrific act that has ever taken place to crucify the perfect one, to crucify our God. And he, he just absorbs it all. He takes it upon himself. He never retaliates. He had angels' armies there waiting to go. He never calls down fire. He never, he forgives. He forgives. He breaks the cycle of systemic revenge and retaliation and death and all of its friends and war and all of that stuff. He breaks that cycle once and for all, absorbing sin upon himself and ultimately defeating the power of sin and the power of the consequences of sin, which is death. And he takes it upon himself and destroys it by by taking it. It's, It's unbelievable what he chooses to do. And so the challenge for us this morning, 
whether it's on a macro level or a micro level, whether it's looking at you know how we we because I believe we're called to subvert the systems, not rage against them. Jesus subverted the systems of the day. So we've got to work out what does it look like as Babe Vineyard to subvert the powers that are holding people in the Nui like down. We've got to subvert those systems and help people rise up, right? It's a very cool challenge. How do you subvert that horrific political environment at your work? How do you work out a way of love that, that's the donkey way, not the warhorse way? You know, the way of peace. This is the interesting challenge as we say, I'm not just going to believe in you, Jesus. I'm going to follow that little donkey. I'm going to follow that donkey, and I'm going to go to that, to that place that you longed to be a house of prayer, a, com- a place of communion with God, a John 15 place. That's where I'm going to go, and I'm going to restore that area of my life. I'm going to overthrow the tables of consumerism and of, of religiosity, and I'm going to come back to a place of communion with you, and I'm going to learn the way of love, learn the way of humility, learn the way of sitting on that donkey. That's a good cue to, uh, for me to wrap it up. <laughs> that is not my, that, I probably need that actually. And, and uh, because we didn't take communion and we had so few notices, I've got plenty of time, but I'm not going to indulge myself here. I'm going to, uh, we're going to have some time where we just spend um, taking communion together. Because uh, when we come to the table this morning, we, uh, we find gifts, gifts given by Christ himself. And uh, to this morning as we take communion, there's a couple of things that um, I'd like us just to have in mind. Firstly, it's this, that we not only want to believe in Jesus, we want to follow his way. As Charlotte said beautifully last week as she opened her amazing sermon that if you missed, you must listen to. We apprentice ourselves to the way of Jesus. All of my life, I want to learn his ways because it's the ways of life. We've sung it. I believe you're the way, the truth, the life. Oh man, that that we all would discover as every year went past the life found in him. And we're gonna we're gonna go there as much as we can in this church. We're gonna talk about Sabbath. We're gonna talk about that private world with Jesus. We're gonna talk about the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus invites us into. But it begins by saying, Yes, I wanna I wanna follow you. Teach me your ways. I don't wanna follow the way of the system. I don't wanna follow the Roman Empire. I don't wanna follow the a little from option A and the little from option B of the Judas Maccabee. And in my prayer this morning is that we would discover again more of that way of Jesus. But here's the thing, and we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit just to reveal to us if there are places where Judas Maccabees is our thinking. Whereas I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm I don't know if I trust the Jesus way. In my situation, I'm not sure I can trust it. That's where I'd just love us to come to this morning, really honestly with him, as saying, I want to I want to follow your way. It's the way that caused me to pick up a cross, and I've got to die to myself. I love that, but the story does not end on Friday. It ends on Sunday with new life bursting into my world as I choose to follow your narrow way of love. And so this is the question for every one of us that the Holy Spirit, I think, wants to just awaken in us, just a fresh commitment this morning to the Jesus way, to the way of peace. And so as we come to this uh, table this morning, we come uh, and we come with grateful hearts because we uh, come to the one who has given it all for us. And so let's stand together and let me just pray as we come into communion this morning.